Hi, I'm Manitoba today. <laughs> Hello, Manitoba. Hi, Ontario. Oh, yeah. No, no. I get to keep my name. I get to keep my name because there's only one Marius on the air. <laughs> yeah. And please don't, don't force me to be Spain, please. No, no, we won't call you Spain. <laughs> all, all of Spain. The reason that our Josh is Manitoba today is because we have an extremely special guest with us, um, also called Josh. Um, Josh Haftel from Adobe is joining us today for another conversation. And we're really excited. Rather than stealing your thunder, Josh, welcome, by the way. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, who you are, what you do, and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on board. Um, I am Josh. I am a Josh. There are many Joshes, but I'm the only me. <laughs> and I'm here today to talk about Adobe stuff. Yay, Adobe. Um, Ooh, Adobe. Woo! So, yeah, uh, I think, uh, how does one start introducing myself? Uh, I'm a photographer that also happens to uh, work at Adobe That in the product management role of helping to design mobile photography solutions. So my, my particular role is focusing on mobile photography. Right. Um, I'm in the Lightroom team, uh, which is part of the Photoshop team, which is part of the Creative Cloud, like, which is part of Adobe. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the circles of confusion, right? So uh, that's where I, I live. And uh, I'll, I'll throw in little photography puns here and there if we want. So perfect. Yeah, we love um, those. But other than that, yeah, sure. <laughs> and everybody was like, Ed, it's not funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, other than that, like uh, I used to work at Google. Um, I was part of their the acquisition from the Nick software team. So oh, really? people wow. may have seen some stuff from like, uh, I, I was the product manager for all the Nick products and including Snapseed. So people that are using Snapseed, probably familiar with that stuff. And yeah. uh, <laughs> also worked on a bunch of stuff on Google Photos. So I was hired over here at Adobe to help out with mobile photography. And so I've been here about a year and a half. Uh, working on all kinds of stuff, trying to figure out what can we do to make mobile photography really awesome. Um, and I've been having a great time ever since. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, these are very interesting times for mobile photography, especially with the whole raw thing coming onto iOS. That must have been exciting to see. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've been uh, really... I, hmm. In my mind, mobile photography, it, it really does mean two different things. Like on one side, it's like, hey, I've got this computer in my pocket. I'm mobile and I'm doing photography stuff, mobile photography. Right. So it has almost nothing to do with the fact that this mobile uh, computer also happens to, camera, happens to have a camera. Then there's the other side of mobile photography where you actually, hey, I've got a camera right. and I'm doing stuff with this camera and it happens to be attached to this wonderful computer that happens to be in my pocket, that happens to be everywhere I go. So there's like both sides of mobile photography are like I use in my world, in my life, I take pictures with lots of different devices. And so I've got, you know, mirrorless cameras and digital SLR and I've got, you know, like little uh, attachments and I just love collecting little camera gadgets. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why we fall in love with photography is all the, the toys that go along with it. Certainly, um, yeah. But then, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but then the also, the fun part is, as you're mentioning, uh, the fact that there is this ability now to take your really great pictures. And so one of the things that I would love to do, and if I have any chance to help move this in that direction is to be able to look at our mobile cameras, our phones as serious photographic tools. And I get the question a lot of times, like, will mobile phones ever replace digital SLRs? Right. And putting that question aside for a second, because I think it's like kind of, it's almost a red herring. It's like, yeah, it maybe will, maybe it won't, but it doesn't even matter. It's like, it's not an either or, that they're not mutually exclusive. I find myself, uh, taking pictures with a wide array of different devices. And what I think is really awesome is now I can consider that 
Uh, I'm not like, oh, darn, I only have my phone. Now it's like, cool, I have my phone. And then I can do good things with it. So to me, that's exciting. And if I can help with letting people see that, that the images that they can capture with their mobile camera and their phone is, is as good uh, for whatever the purpose is or for the, uh, the opportunity, then that's awesome. And in some ways, I think about it like my mirrorless doesn't replace my rangefinder, which doesn't replace my digital SLR. They all have their own purposes. They all have their own needs and values. And can we look at our phones as a, an equivalent partner in that photography ecosystem? And it has its own strengths and it has its own weaknesses. Sure. So yeah. that's the way I like to think about it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I like the way that you've described it that way as an integrated thing, because, you know, there's a, a big discussion going on right now in the tech sphere specifically about um, about the iPad and whether or not it's replacing computers. Actually, I don't know if you guys saw, but today, um, as we're recording this, Apple just released a new set of um, of ads for the iPad Pro. Mm. Uh, and one of them is like, you know, is it a computer? Is it not a computer? And um, Josh, just like you were saying, to me, the question seems a little silly because it's not really about uh, or what's of interest to me, at least, is not so much how the iPad can or can't replace a computer. It's what is this platform capable of doing that you couldn't do on um, on your sort of desktop setup? And this idea of having a single device that on the one hand is both a capture device and on the other hand is also a capable um, editing and, and workflow device combined into one, that's really exciting to me. And I think that that's what... Um, you know, when I think about what I want the future of a mobile photography workflow to look like, it's more along those lines than sort of trying to bring all of the legacy stuff from a desktop environment into mobile, because sometimes those pieces won't fit, right? It's it's a square peg round hole kind of thing. Right. Um, but I'd be really interested in knowing, um, because you're also like in your photography, you do a fair bit of traveling. So I, I'd love to know what is your mobile photography workflow right now? Like, what do you take with you in terms of um, a computer or you know, an iPad or whatever it is to actually work on those photos on the go? Mm. I mean, uh, it, good question. And it depends entirely on what kind of travel I'm doing. Um, right. I haven't had a opportunity since working at Adobe to do another walkabout, uh, which I would love to do at some point. I did a two-year walkabout uh, in between Google and Adobe, which was really awesome to, to get out there and and that workflow was very different because I was gone, <laughs> just gone. <laughs> but sometimes when I'm just like going on a short trip, like uh, this past week, I went out to um, Minneapolis to hang out with some friends and meet up with some other coworkers. And on that trip, I just brought, I, I have a Leica Q, which I really like because right. uh, I really like it. And um, <laughs> so does Alvaro here. This is the dad joke episode of, of <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can get worse. I can get better. We'll see. I, I, I'm still getting over the fact that you only have one like a Q, but yeah, that's a yeah. story for another day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, I, and I, uh, I love this one, and I, I love taking pictures with it. And it, it, to me, is a great like. I don't bring anything else with me when I go. Um, and I found that that's a really good like just walking around camera. And then I have my iPhone Seven Plus, and that's it. That's that's all I really. Uh, would would bring with me when it came to like my photography setup because I have my own yeah. my own personal laptop. I try not to do personal photography stuff on my work laptop because I end up uh, constantly installing beta versions of software that that sometimes fries things right. and I just don't even want to deal with <laughs> yeah. it. So I'm like ah you know so like the stuff that I care about I I keep on my own. I've got my own RAID at home and my own setup and all that kind of good stuff, right? And and that's kind of like my photography experience at home. But when I go on the road, 
I sometimes might bring my laptop and sometimes no. And so in these shorter trips, I bring just my iPhone 7. And in this case, I brought my Lucky Q and I use the Lightning to SD card adapter to right, yeah. take the, the DNG files off of my Leica, put them onto my iPhone. I've got the full resolution DNG file on my phone. I can do all the normal raw stuff like the white balance and the sharpening, contrast, right. cropping, all that kind of stuff. And then I can take that and then go to uh, – it will automatically sync up to my my desktop back at home as well as the online service for, as well as – I. I I usually have my iPad Pro with me um, at all times, just in case <laughs> I have something that I need to do some bug fixing or testing <laughs> on. But um, I have found myself not launching it as often uh, because my iPhone 7 Plus is amazing and it does most of the stuff that I need it to do. Right. So that, that's that's the kind of like typical travel setup that I find myself having because I get all the benefits. And that's like, I get the full resolution, I get the raw, I get the backup and the synchronization, I get the ability to do the editing and the ability to do the sharing wherever I am, because I either have a Wi-Fi or a cell signal pretty much anywhere I go these days. And that just gives me that opportunity to, to share out to my Insta or share out to my friends or push to my Facebook or whatever the the display medium of, of the day is. Right. So that's that's pretty much it. I mean, of course, there, there are times where I bring my laptop with me and I'll do like more beefy editing. And those times I'll bring my, my Nikon digital SLR with me and do like, quote unquote, really serious photography. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, I really like the system you just described. I mean, it's very seamless, very, very nimble, I would say. And it kind of gives you an idea of how far we've come in terms of mobile photography yeah. in, in both the senses you, you described before, like both the capture devices and the editing devices. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's been a long time coming. Uh, many of us were looking to this to this day when the iPad was first announced, for example, or or even the iPhone for that matter. We always kind of uh, thought this could come, that it was possible, that it should be possible, and and personally, I think it's taken uh, longer than I than I expected. But I'm very glad it's getting closer and closer every year. Yeah. It- Technology is one of those fun things where it's like, oh, it's a year out, but it's been a year out for like 20 years. Yeah, exactly. So like there's <laughs> there's some things that are getting better and better and some things that accelerate faster than you anticipate them do and some things that take longer. And uh, and as somebody that's been in the, in the tech world for a while and, and seen like the inner workings, like I've seen how the sausage is made. Right. Uh, you kind of like wonder like, oh, we could have been much faster along if only blank, blank, blank. <laughs> but that's not reality. Like the reality is that there are uh, things will go at a certain speed. And so we kind of have to be happy with it, but make the most out of it. And some there's some of these like big uh, leaps that happen. Um, to me, one of those big leaps that's finally happening, it was again, one of those, those kind of technological advancements that I had always seen on the horizon and, and like been just waiting for it and it's just almost there almost there almost there and, and finally this year with like the iphone 7 plus or with the huawei p9 or the like the uh, lg like the g5 i think it was the first one that did this with the, the two lenses as well this wasn't the first one i think there was an htc that did it before any of these other right. guys yeah but yeah. but the, having the, the dual lenses and then being able to actually use them together in a really really great way uh like the iphone 7 plus with their um the portrait mode is just fantastic. And yeah, it really the, is the ability to now you can start to see these 
options and opportunities for this evolution of photography that's going to start accelerating and then probably slow down and plateau and then have another kind of disruption event will it will accelerate again and and we'll just go like that and fits and starts like most technology evolution goes right but we have this now this new evolution of the computational photography which i i feel to be like the most exciting most like uh has the biggest opportunity to do really cool things and to and to make me feel less and less um, uh, sad when I forget my camera at home. <laughs> right. And I can realize, oh, all I've got is this phone in my pocket. But hey, this phone's amazing. Cool. Right. Now, the flip side of that computational photography angle is, of course, the notion of of loss of some control. And that's something that um, I think a lot of the the old guard of photographers are very uh, wary of in terms of these new technologies because they're uh, they're concerned, I think, that that by continuing to lower the barrier to um, excellent imagery, um, you you kind of create um, a group of people who are able to create these images without really understanding what's going into it. And um, to them, it's like, well, that's a bad thing. You should understand how to do this and, and you know, the manual way and blah, blah, blah. But um, I'm just wondering where you fall on that spectrum of, of um, opinions as far as you know, how how do you balance developing the technology so that imagery becomes easier and and more accessible to everybody while at the same time defending the craft of photography? Well, I think that there was a lot of statements that you just made. Uh, let's see if I can un- unpackage some of them. Uh, the first one, that computational photography gives up control. And I, I think that you're conflating the way that the portrait mode was implemented and what computational photography can offer. Um, computational photography could actually give you even more control, infinite more control than you ever had in a non-computational sense. Um, the ability to have access to a depth map that you can then like uh, twist and mold to your will is something that we don't have yet. Uh, we don't have technology out there, or, or I shouldn't say technology, but we don't have right. uh, tools that have been implemented in such a way that would take advantage of it. And so like the 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 what I think is so exciting about the iPhone 7 Plus and the portrait mode is that uh, this is an experience where very uniquely untypically Apple, where they've released something as a beta that is just like, hey, this is a proof of concept. We know there's a bunch of stuff that's not great about it, but then is it cool or what? And that's something that I think is really interesting. Yeah. However, it's kind of like a preview of what's to come. And yeah. the amount of control that it's going to give you is actually going to make people be like, what? You couldn't do that with your uh, old grandpa camera? Nice job. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that, that's, that's one, one way of looking at it. Like uh, another part of the, another statement that you made kind of reminded me about like when autofocus was like a thing to be like decried. Like, <laughs> it was like, oh, you use autofocus. You're not a professional. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, really? <laughs> really? Okay. Like, I really, really, really yeah. want to prove to you that I'm really good at finding what's in focus and what's out of focus because that is an explanation of my ability as an artist to, uh, to convey an emotion or, or to make people see my story. Like, I don't, I don't see, like, personally some of these tool things. And sometimes I feel, unfortunately, that it, it comes down to, like this, this fear of, of uh, validity <laughs> or, or being able to actually provide something unique. Right. Uh, and, and that comes from a lack of confidence. And, yeah. and I want to help people understand that their creative vision is unique and value, valuable and wonderful. And, and having a, a bajillion um, or what we're going to have, like seven bajillion people out there with cameras uh, isn't going to make you any less of an artist. 
and isn't going to change your ability to to accomplish your goals. Right. So I don't see it as a as a challenge to my creative vision or my tr- creative ability that people can do this easier. And I, I find it to be really inspiring. Like one of the things that I find most interesting about the the democratization of photography is that we now have individuals who have a completely different perspective on the world that are able to actually access and create images. And up until now, there was a very small set of people, uh, unfortunately, most of them white, who had the opportunity of taking pictures because they just happened to win the genetic lottery. Yeah. And that was the only people in the world that could actually take camera pictures and photos because they could afford it. They could afford the time. They could afford the the craft. They could afford the technology. Like yeah. the fact that now we're getting out of this mode and like anybody basically, like it's amazing like how many uh, devices are in the world today that have the ability to take a good quality photo and how cheap those devices are and how accessible those devices are. Now it's not only this one very small demographic that has the ability to create art and to capture the the history now we we've enabled everybody to do this and we're seeing a huge change and a huge shift in in what art looks like and to me that's that's amazing and super exciting and very inspiring and it gives me an opportunity to learn from a whole new group of people with a very different perspective on life so i will never ever uh, see the democratization of photography in a negative light or the ability for people to not have to spend days weeks hours years learning how to use a tool in order to create art like to me that's that's the most amazing thing possible yeah no and i'm i'm absolutely in agreement on that front i think where where i was coming from with the question and the and the cautionary angle is less to do with this you know the the bright side of the equation where you get things like oh what if we get access to the depth mapping information that's being captured there what can we do now with images that we couldn't do before it's less of that and more of the uh, we were recently making fun of a startup that um you have to pay for your images after you take a photo and they edit them. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they're, do, they're using computational stuff to, to deal with that in the background. And that's the kind of thing where I feel like it's being twisted towards something that is not only wrestling control away from you, but it's also, it becomes a little less clear whose perspective is being revealed by the photo because the editing is a big part of it. And that service, you know, will decide whether or not a photo is worthy and things like that. So I think that's where, you know, there's there's two sides to that. But in an ideal world where, where all of this stuff is is exploited positively, I think that you're absolutely right. It's it's nothing but good to have uh, to have this technology pushing us forward, because like you said, it welcomes new perspectives in and that pushes the entire craft forward, sure. even for the rest of us. Well, I also don't see there's any negative to computational photography. I don't see anybody forcing you to use that service that's going to make you select yeah. which camera, which photo you use. I mean, sure. I don't see that as as an <laughs> argument in any way, shape or form, like towards the negative potential of a computational photography. Sorry, it's that that to me is like, that's a, a Nope. <laughs> I'm just going to nope on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fair. That's fair. Right. I mean, uh, it, that was an, a very interesting point that you made that the, um, the advent of new technology that changes the, the status quo is always met with resistance from the old guard, so to speak. And it happened when manual focus turned into autofocus. It happened when film ter- turned into digital and it's happening now that optics are no longer the only way to create an image. Now we have, on top of the optics, we have the computational power that our devices are capable of. And, and that's, it's changing the game. It, it already has, and it's only, it's only going to get 
even more pronounced because this is very clearly the future of photography, whether we like it or not. And uh, I say the the sensible uh, thing to do here is to just embrace it and wonder how can we use this to actually make better images and to tell better stories and put something out there that is going to inspire even more people to get out there and create their own images, right? Right. And I think that there's 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 a part of this that I, I think we were hitting on a little bit before, which is there's the craft and there's the art. Right. And both of these things are fun. And, and building a craft, there's no such thing as going out there and you can have the best camera in the world that takes like really amazingly in sharp focus, makes all these decisions for you, but it isn't going to necessarily like convey your personal emotions or, or accomplish a specific uh, artistic goal. And so there is definitely a, a need and that, that the craft changes though, like the craft from being able to use the tool to like being able to hone the, uh, the practice of, of going out there and taking the photos. That's something that we'll never get rid of. I, I believe, I believe there's always a need for practice and, and working for it and, and being able to accomplish a goal. And I think that what you were actually trying to get at uh, before was like, if things seem too easy, that some people might just automatically assume, hey, it's all in focus and the color is not bad and it's all good, well exposed. Therefore, this is a good photo. And that doesn't that's not going to be true. And there's also going to be this, this evolution of the quality of a photograph isn't going to be just I mean, if you look at the first photographs that ever came out and you compare them to photography today. Uh, it's funny, we were, we were having this argument recently. There was that uh, app called Keegan. Did you guys play with that um, online app? I don't think so. No, no. So Keegan was like some uh, neural net hooked up to like a, a a website where you would upload a photo and then it would rate your photo. It was like, oh, that's a 7.8. Right. And then it would explain why oh boy. <laughs> it was a 7.8. It's like, yeah, the composition's okay, but it would have been nice if you had some parts of the image more out of focus. And, you know, it's basically they had, they, they fed it a whole bunch of photos and there was somebody that, that was uh, telling it what is good subjectively, what is bad subjectively. And then the, here's an example of a good subjective thing. Here's an example of a bad subjective thing. And then through that process, it, it calculated a way of being able to identify the same uh, aspects in other photos. Um, but then you you start, it's funny because you can then look at that like, okay, so this knows somehow, this is the magical box that knows uh, what is a good photograph and what is a bad photograph. And then you you feed it some of the world's like most cherished photographs. And it's like, ah, could be better. And you have to like, what is like, part of it is like the, the training set that goes in there. Part of it is like, well, this was really good at the time because here's the reason why. And there's like a a time component to art and there's like a understanding what that art was as a reaction to the time and how that now has changed. And it's, it's very, very much that that just doesn't happen. Like you, you have to be present. You have to be as a contributing member of the art scene to create content, which I, I think is an interesting uh, component. Of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, but I do like very much the, the, uh, what you were saying before about uh, trying to, um, help it help photographers in general so that they're not feeling so vulnerable in the face of these new technologies, because the reality is that whether or not we embrace them, they're still coming. Yeah. So we, we, we may as well, we may as well make the best of them and, and try, you know, cause it's, it's not like we we're going to shut our eyes and, and go la la la, and it's all just going to go away and we'll wake up tomorrow and we'll be back in the sixties. Like that's not. <laughs> That's not how it works. Get so, off my lawn. Exactly. Exactly. No. And and we're we're all very excited about that. I mean, I'm I'm sort of um I think of the the three of us here, I'm the most sort of iPad mobile photography 
uh, friendly. Oh yeah. Um, and it's, it's specifically because of that. I mean, even though right now the experience is not necessarily where I'd want it to be, I recognize that realistically the, the future of, um, mobile photography and of computing in general is probably going to look closer to my iPad than to my Mac. And so that's, that's kind of where, uh, I try and focus my energy. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. but one of the things that's, that's interesting to me and, and that I wanted to, um, get your, your thoughts on here, because you were talking about how sometimes it's unpredictable which way that technological winds are going to blow. So from a product management perspective and like a product development perspective, how do you guys plan features, right? Like you're, you're, you're dealing with Lightroom, which is uh, turning into an ecosystem rather than just a single environment. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you steer that ship in the face of very uncertain um, times, basically? Uh, there's there's a number of different elements. I mean, one of those things is... Um, one of our goals as a product manager is to be really, really like dialed into the experience of our users and understanding the our users and understanding why are people using our product, why are people not using our product, and what is it that we're offering in the the space in the world that around us, and and how do we compare against uh, competitive competitors? How do we compare against nothing? Because <laughs> yeah. more often than not, nothing is a bigger competitor than any one product. There's, right, right. there's a lot more people not using Lightroom than are using a competitor to Lightroom. Right. So yeah. it's like, you know, like figuring out, well, why are these people using nothing? Right. If I, if I think about Lightroom on one side as a organizational tool, well, there's a lot of people that don't use Lightroom to organize their photos. They use folders on their desktop. There's probably yeah. uh, like a hundred billion times more people that put folders on their desktop uh, than, than are using Lightroom. Yeah. Right. So like that figuring out like, why is that? And, and then that's one aspect of it. Another aspect is to keep abreast of technology. And, and we have a wonderful research team here that are, part of what's moving technology forward and, and constantly uh, doing um, interactions with uh, universities and, and doctoral candidates and, and thesis people, uh, those, those folks that, that do the education thing that, that I don't do very well. Uh, they're, they, we talk to them um, a lot <laughs> and like figuring out where are they going? Where, what's the technology? Where's the future happening? And then well, at the same time, looking at like, what do we want to do? Because one of the great things about being at a company like Adobe is that we also are part of the people that are moving the industry in one direction or the other and, and trying to figure out what's what's interesting, what's what's what should be a goal. Like how do we lead in this space? No and kidding, yeah. That for me, as I mentioned, part of that like on one side is the democratization of photography because of a lot of the reasons, the philosophical uh bleeding heart liberal in me reasons that I, I mentioned earlier. Um the, the, like the whole like give access to everybody to create and be an artist is, is super important to me. But also, like, how do we make mobile photography a thing? How do we make it happen? And that, that, that's like, well, what do we need to do? What, what are the reasons why? Um, and so you, you were mentioning earlier today in the call uh, about like RAW coming to mobile cameras. And that was something that um, we're really happy to have had a part in, you know, that, right. that both um, the Apple iOS, as well as the uh, Google Android operating system, um, have taken the Adobe RAW format, DNG, the digital negative format, as their de facto raw format. Yeah. Talk about a vote of confidence. Yeah, exactly. So, and we, we went from having to ask all the companies in Japan, like, why aren't you using our format to be like, that's eh, okay. We've got a couple billion users already. We're cool. So then <laughs> <laughs> we like, like the whole point being though, that we've got <laughs> this, uh, like option now that to say, Oh, this, this device can now 
resolve some of those reasons why I wasn't willing. You know, like a lot of people would say, oh, I, you know, like raw in one sense is like the mark of the pro in, 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 in certain aspects. Right. But in other ways, it's also like, well, I, I need this kind of control. I've become accustomed to that type of control. Uh, in my photography, I need the ability to change my white balance. I didn't get the white balance perfectly. I need to change it. Or I need the exposure latitude that a raw file gives me over a JPEG. Or I don't want JPEG compression. Or I don't want eight bits per channel of, of in color information. I want more. Yeah. And so by being able to say, now you get more. And this is like a reason why, you know, the, the camera, um, the, the raw or I'm sorry about the, the mobile photography is actually a good product. So, you know, looking at all these different aspects of how do we grow and how do we like guide the, the market? Um, how do we react to the market, react to the needs, uh, look at how other people in the, in the space are working with it and, and working with our researchers and, and other research folks. It's just this combination of all these things together to try and figure out, well, how do we grow and in which direction is, is the best likelihood to grow in? And there's calculated risks. Sometimes they're like big leaps. Um, right. And sometimes uh, it's it's all really like obvious. It's like, okay, <laughs> we know we need to do this one thing. There, there's no there's no risk about this one thing. We, we add the one feature in there and boom, everybody loves it. Sometimes it's like, well, we don't really know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and it's it's fun. I mean, and you can look at other companies in, in the Valley uh, that what they do and how they progress. And I was talking about Snapchat earlier and how many risks and like gambles Snapchat has taken. And and heck, they just had their their, their public IPO like pre-filing thing where they're talking about how like one yeah. of the risks is they may never be profitable. Talk about a risk, right? It's like, hey. <laughs> As a business, it's a pretty big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we may never ever make money. We may like cost, spend more money than we bring in. Uh, and that's like a risk, but they're like, we think that this is the right risk to take. And so it's it's interesting, and, you know, a company like as as old as Adobe is, we're a little less risk loving as a as a company as young as Snapchat. Um, so right. there's definitely differences inside of there. Um, but then there's also like, well, what can we do to increase our risk appetite? And that's 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 me. I love risk. I'm a big risk appetite kind of person, and and that comes from my days in in startups and and Google's also a very risk loving kind of company, and they're always recommending, hey, fail fast, fail often. And that, that's fun. And yeah. bringing that concept over here to Adobe as well and, and helping to push on those things is it's it's fun to take risks. It's fun to try things out and see, does this work? Does it not work? I think Adobe as a company gives you a, a very a good platform to bring that kind of perspective into because they have the, um, the, the clout and the sheer scale to weather those kinds of storms. Right. You know, if you make a bad call, it's not like the company's going to disappear. It's <laughs> like, oh, oh, well, you know, we roll back. And, and uh, so, so that in itself uh, is good. For me to hear because you know obviously using lightroom every day it's it's good to know that uh it's being pushed right it's it's trying to push the envelope sometimes it's going to go in a direction that i don't like but fundamentally it's trying to accelerate it's trying to move things forward it's not just kind of the uh, the, the stagnant product that that you know is is not really very exciting and, yep. and ultimately is not contributing to the future of uh imaging technology yep status quo only leads you to do one thing uh, it leads you to die. <laughs> um, my my number one thing is like I went, um, you know, so I went to school in in, in Rochester, New York, uh, and so not that far away from you guys in Toronto, right across the water. And yep. um, 
when I was over there, of course, it's Kodak town. And so there was this whole like mystique of Kodak and you're just like, you just get to get like Kodak in the brain, uh, even though I was a Fujifilm shooter back in the day when I shot film. Uh, but still, he's just like Kodak everywhere. And then, you know, I've watched Kodak over the years because I, I, when I was in college, I was, I studied photography, but it was all film photography. So I, I just graduated just before digital and then slowly watched the whole like the whole ecosystem churn and change from, from film into digital right. and watching like this company that I had an utmost respect for. Uh, I used their products and I, I loved their, their products. And there were some of their films that I absolutely loved, even though on, on the whole, I liked Fujifilm better, but still like I loved their product. And I loved the company and I loved what they stood for. And I love the fact that they really were like the first company to democratize photography. Uh, they were the first ones. Right. Right. And so yep. there, there was, I have a lot of respect for them. And and then like a year and a half ago, like they restructured and they came out with a selfie stick. I'm like what, what? Right. <laughs> so this company, yeah. it's sad to watch. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I do not want to do that. I don't want to be that. That's, that's what I cannot afford to like, that would just make me cry like for a company that I love as much as Adobe. And, and that's, I'm not saying that they wouldn't without me. And so don't take it the wrong way. And right. that, that I feel like I'm instrumental in this stuff, but at the same time, like, <laughs> no, 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 but I get where you're coming that, from. That's yeah. the push. That's the motivation that I have is like to say, like, I see that as a risk. If you just stand still and you get a little too smug and you get a little too complacent, the risk is that if you don't disrupt yourself, somebody else will disrupt you. And that's that's the reality. Absolutely. And part of that risk, uh, I imagine, has to do with the fact that your guys are developing software for a platform that is controlled by somebody else. So usually that used to be for Windows or for the Mac operating system, but you could assume that the computer underneath wouldn't change much. Now with the whole mobile thing, the hardware is a huge part of it too. The hardware changes a lot faster than software does. Yeah. So that's a that's a very big risk. And in my case, Marius mentioned before that he's uh, out of the three of us, he's the one that is uh, more involved with the whole mobile editing workflow. Uh, for me, it never really clicked. And it's because of the hardware actually, because the, the main points of friction that I have in my workflow when I, when I try to do my editing on the iPad are the lack of storage and the lack of a convenient way to actually get my files from the SD card to the iPad. I don't like dealing with adapters and, and yeah. that sort of thing. It's just cumbersome. I just rather wait until I'm home and plug the SD card into my laptop and off I go, right? Right. So th those kinds of decisions are completely outside of Adobe's control of, or anyone, anyone else's control uh, for that matter. And, and that's a very, very a uh, big risk, I would say, but it's, it's worth it, right? I mean, what else can you do? You have to believe that the hardware will sort itself out in the, in the long run and, and just, just gotta be ready for when it does. Right. I, I think that in, in one of some of the stuff you were talking about, like the, the, the readiness of, of these um, products as they are today, you know, you were mentioning that, that Marius, He's, he's uh, accepted some of these, uh, the state of things and he's been able to work it in. And for you, like things haven't been as smooth. And so you're, you're happy to like make a compromise on like uh, time to share. Like it's right. one of the things I think about, like how long until I share a photo? Like for me, I've had to accept some of those like things like carrying a dongle with me around or limiting or, or it being slower or spending more time to copy over or, or whatever that is because I am really, really incentivized by the fact that if I don't do something with my photo today, 
I'm never coming back to it. Like I will be taking more photos tomorrow. And unless that photo that I took yesterday was just like one of the best photos I've ever taken in my life, there's a high likelihood it'll sit in my computer forever and never be touched. Right. Just because life, <laughs> just because life. It's in the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, but at the same time for, for you, you know, you, you're saying, Hey, th- these compromises are too great. And, or like you've, you've would forget your dongle or you don't want to have to worry about like having another thing to carry on with you. And, and that's perfectly right. There's a lot of people that feel the same way. And, and one of our jobs is to identify those friction points and to say like, wow, we could probably get a lot more people doing this if they didn't have to carry a dongle around. Right. And then there's like, there's these challenges that we run into, like these compromises, like, okay, well, if I told you, yeah, sure, we could do that, but it would take you two minutes to capture your raw file via Wi-Fi from your camera to your, your iPad. Would you, would you wait two minutes for a photo? And you might say like, no, or you might say like, well, if it happens in the background, sure, why not? Right. Uh, and there, there would be like this compromise that we have to work through and figure out like, okay, well, are you like or dislike other people? Like how many people would be like you and how many people would be like, no, I would never wait two minutes for this photo. I want what I want and what I want it and I want it now. <laughs> you know, I, I, and then we have to figure out like, how do we, how do we struggle between those two different compromises within the constraints that we have today while also at the same time trying to like work with other companies and telling uh, our, our hardware partners, Hey guys, it would be amazing if you gave us an opportunity to transfer like raw files wirelessly. Like right. I would love that because I too get really annoyed having to carry a dongle around. But I just, I like the, the cost of carrying a dongle around to me is less than the cost of not sharing a photo that I wanted to share. So like that's, that's the uh, algebra that I do in my head or the calculus or the, the arithmetic or whatever kind of mathematics we want to talk about. Like that's what I do in my head. Like that I calculate the, the cost versus the benefit. And in my sense, the, the cost of putting yet another piece of metal in my backpack is, is lower. So I just have this pouch full of adapters <laughs> and cables because I hey, also, yeah, I also <laughs> like, because I'm, I'm a mobile uh, product manager, I literally carry with me usually around 10 to 15 mobile devices at all times because Android is a really interesting world. So I have like all kinds of different operating systems and devices and screen sizes and and hardware combinations so that in case a bug comes up, I can reproduce it anywhere I am in the world. So (laughs) usually whenever I go through the airport, I get this big brick of phones that are like, what the heck is that? (laughs) Oh man, that must be fun. (laughs) I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you mentioned those other platforms though, because one of the things that I, that I was curious about is, you know, we, obviously I look at this very much from an iOS first perspective because that's what I use. But the reality is that you guys are dealing with um, primarily, you know, Android and iOS, but in any case, multiple platforms. And when we talk about Lightroom mobile, it's not just one product on one platform, you know, right. even that has a range. And so how, how does that influence the, uh, the sort of the choice of features and the way that you um, develop it, given the fact that it, it is, I'm, I'm assuming that you're trying to keep relative parity between iOS and Android in terms of Lightroom Mobile's feature set. Yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty interesting because, um, yeah, like I, I have a feeling, uh, I, I go back and forth between Android and iOS. Um, like it, it wasn't until I think the, like the, the Nexus uh, 6P until I started really enjoying the Android operating system. Right. Uh, and now with like Nougat um, and 7.1, like I really, really like it. And I find myself like no long before I could be like, oh, I'm 99% iOS. And now I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like 60, 40. 
like there are things that I find myself regularly missing in iOS that my Android device does better. And I'm just always surprised. And so I'm really excited about that. And I think that's coming from the fact that Android is not like the difference between Android and iOS is so much greater than the difference between Mac and Windows. It's like unbelievable. Uh, the difference between Mac and Windows these days is basically the command and the control keys are switched in placement on the keyboard. And that's pretty much <laughs> and as far as I can tell. Switch. Yeah. As far as I can tell, like in, in, in the world that I live in, which is mostly Photoshop and Lightroom, that's the only difference that matters. Right. And so, like, but the difference on iOS and, and Android is great, so great that we we want to support all of it. And we have lots and lots of users on the uh, Android operating system. Um, we got lots of users on the iOS operating system. And we don't want to like play favoritism. Uh, we definitely, as a company, have had more uh, experience and success on iOS than we have on Android. But the, team, the Android team is growing all the time. And right. our goal is to, to balance between like the statement of we want to focus on parity. So parity is super important to us because like with the lack of, of feature parity, it's one, it's super confusing. You release like a, a release or announcement and then people are like, yeah, but do I get it? I don't know. Like, I don't want to read the fine print to understand like this feature that sounds really great. I want that feature, but do I get it? And right. that sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want it to keep track. I don't want to have like a little like crib notes of like what I get, and what I don't get. That's, that's not fun. Um, or secret decoder ring, right? Um, <laughs> the, uh, at the same time, like there's opportunities on either platform. And so like one of the things that we had seen was, for example, um, DNG raw capture came out on Android about six or seven months before it came out on iOS. Yeah. And we didn't, we did not know it was coming out on iOS, but we could like imagine like, this just makes sense. This would be a good thing for them to do. And we really hope that it'll happen. And, you know, basically it's one of those risks that you like, we just cross our fingers and hope that other people will do the right thing. And anyway, they did it. Cool. Um, but we also were like, well, we're not going to wait uh, a questionable amount of time until uh, iOS also gets DNG on there. So we made the decision to release a new capture experience that had raw capture on Android first. Like I said, it was it released in February of last year, and it wasn't until like June or July of, la- of last year that, that it came out on iOS. And so that meant that we had this opportunity to do something different on Android and to go first on Android with, with the DNG capture. And we took that opportunity. And that meant that the iOS team, they, were, we weren't, they weren't just going to sit around twiddling their thumbs while the Android team is building this functionality. So that meant the iOS team started building other functionality. And so there was like yeah. this this purposeful split in functionality, and then that now what we're doing is we're we're bringing that them back together again. So we're we're sealing that rift between the two products, and then just constantly going and and looking at what opportunities are there. And so because they're so different, and because there's so many different uh, opportunities on one platform for the next, um, we do have this goal of main, maintaining parity, but at the same time, being able to take advantage of whatever is the unique, really great, awesome thing that one platform offers versus the other, uh, and then doing that. Like, for example, you know, we're talking about the ability to cap- care, uh, sorry, copy raw files from your camera onto your, your mobile device. Um, in iOS, yeah. uh, you have to go through their photos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so that means you have to like, you, you, you connect the SD card and then it goes to your photos app and you wait. And then once it's out of your photos app, then you import it to Lightroom and you <laughs> yep. wait. And so like, and then it's like, it's duplicated twice. And so now you've got this 70 megabyte uh, raw file in two locations with the exact same location. You need to go back in there to clean it out. Da, 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 da. And that's just how uh, Apple does it. Right. Right. And so whatever, right. I'm not going to say bad, good, indifferent, just how they do it. Cause they have the reasons, which I don't know what the reasons are, but they have the reasons. 
On Android, they don't have the same reasons. So on Android, we can actually connect directly to the thing. We created an importer that's a, a much more simplistic version of the importer inside of Lightroom, but it's the Lightroom importer. So you connect your camera up to your Android device and you import the files directly into uh, Lightroom and it bypasses their gallery or camera roll or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, sounds like a much better experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's more elegant. Right. And and that's because the operating systems are different. So we we will identify and we look at we have, you know, our Android engineering team are super Android fanboys and girls. Mm -hmm. And they love it. They absolutely, absolutely love the Android operating system. They can imagine nothing's better and they want the best for uh, Android users. And they're building the best tools that they, they think is, is right. And they really understand and internalize how the Android operating system works and focus on making the great experience. And, and that's really exciting to me to work with folks that are our iOS team, love iOS, or Android team loves Android. Everybody loves photography. You know, it's like uh, I'm a kid in a candy store. <laughs> it does sound like a pretty good work environment. <laughs> Out of curiosity, how, how many of the people in, in, on your team are photographers themselves? Define photographer, right? So like the, the fun thing that I found um, about being a product manager in photography is that everybody's a photographer right? <laughs> and everybody <laughs> has an opinion and everybody could tell you how to do your job better than what you're doing yourself. <laughs> when you have a product manager who's making like spreadsheet software, it's like, nobody cares. <laughs> you're just off on your own. <laughs> but I, I got every day, you have no idea how many times you're like, Oh, you make, you work on Lightroom. Well, why don't you do X, Y, and Z? I'm like, Oh God. Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. I clearly, you know, this better than I do. We should I, hire you. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sorry for living, <laughs> but uh, in, in terms of like how many people are like, you know, what do you call classical photographers? I, it's a really like, it's, I don't, I've never really done the math. I'd say like at least 50%. Oh, that's nice. And it's something that we try and, and work on um, and, and try and grow. There's, there's definitely people that have come on board. They're interested in photography, but they're, they're, they're a little bit, intimidated by it because photography can be intimidating like the the cameras themselves can be intimidating yeah uh, the technology like the the what's iso mean and why does this matter and why does it happen when you do this and this other thing happens and how come the aperture number goes backwards and blah blah, blah right so all these things that you just have to like for us we're like yeah it does just live with it right it's a fraction like <laughs> let me show you the math i'll show you the diagram oh, they don't care about that they're just like no yeah help me understand like i just want it like it's too dark what do I do right and so like going through that process we spend time uh taking folks out and, and doing photography walks and, and photography lessons and it's something i love to do i i love talking about photography uh, as you've noticed i love talking in general but i also <laughs> love talking about photography uh and so like being able to uh, help people understand and, and share my passion for photography is, is always exciting so that we we're working on getting that number uh, i won't i won't be happy until that number is 100 percent of people are taking photos in a super serious way Wow. Uh, and I'll keep on working on that, but we still have a pretty good number of people. I mean, the great thing about Adobe is that we, in this, in this environment in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of competition, right? right? And there, there's, we're, we're not far, especially the office in San Jose is close to Apple. It's close to uh, Facebook. It's close to Google. It's close to uh, Instagram. It's close to any number of smaller startups. So uh, a lot of the people that come to work at Adobe come to work here because they're really passionate about the products. They could, most of these people could work anywhere they wanted to, and they choose to work at Adobe because of the products, because of the opportunity, because uh, what we're doing, and, and they love that aspect of it. So that means that we're working with a really 
unique, fun set of, of people. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and, and that passion comes through, I think, because you know you can tell when a piece of software is developed by people who actually do the thing that it's made for, right? And that that comes through. Um, what One of our listeners had a question, and it was kind of like a point-blank thing. Um, I was just reminded of it because we were talking earlier about this idea of, of parity mm-hmm. um, between you know different platforms. And this uh, this fellow is wondering where the Lightroom desktop environment fits into that parity question, because a lot of times people, uh, when they express frustration with Lightroom Mobile, basically what they're saying is, I wish that Lightroom on my desktop existed on my iPad, whether or not that's a realistic request. Sure. So how do you guys look at that? Like, what is is the the fundamental end goal to bring all of the functionality of Lightroom for the desktop onto the mobile version, or is that not really the idea so what's what's interesting is like we, we're starting from a, a place in which lightroom desktop has been out for about 10 years or t- this is yeah. the 10 year anniversary i think in february or march or something i can't remember exactly like i'm horrible with anniversaries just ask my girlfriend um but <laughs> <laughs> the the reality is that um this lightroom desktop has been out for a long time and it, over that time it's had a chance to add features and functionality lightroom uh, on mobile is like two years old so it's nowhere near as long as in, as being able to build up that functionality and it takes time to build functionality but to say that our goal is to just make a carbon copy on the ipad or iphone of the desktop would be uh, a disservice to everybody nobody wants that exactly they want the thing to adapt contextually like if I think about it, the the thing that I usually use as a as a litmus test for functionality um, is that I've got my uh, my phone, and my phone is something that I want to work with and use with one hand a lot of times, as much as I can. And so sure. yeah. the I have this device that's I want to work with one handed, and where versus my desktop where I've got two hands and a mouse um, and um, you know, I, I've got all of these different kinds of control surfaces and there's a keyboard that's always accessible while the ma- the monitor is there where I don't have that on the on my my phone. But on my phone, I've got touch interface that I can use like gestures on. And so we want to make the functionality uh, work according to the surface that you're on and, and according to the context. If I think about like my desktop, a lot of times for me, at least my desktop is my uh, leave me alone. I'm working kind of environment right. and my phone is like hey you know i'm at a bar i like edit a photo have a conversation edit a photo continue the conversation drink a beer you know there's this le- lower level of of intensity of of engagement with my device and so like the application needs to reflect that and work with that and by the way i might at any time get a text message that i have to respond to or uh, god forbid uh, some like person calls me on the phone. I don't know why they do that still, but sometimes it happens. And, <laughs> yeah, those people. Ugh. Oh, it throws me in a loop. I have no idea what to do anymore. It's like, who are you? Why are you talking to me? <laughs> Where's uh, the phone app? Exactly. Mm. I wish I could delete the phone app. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, so like the, the the point being though that like I don't want the functionality to be a one to one between the phone and the iPad and then the desktop. Um, the goal should be, or my goal is that you can accomplish the same goals. So if your goal is, I want to be able to add keywords, well, we want to do, do that too. Like people have been asking for that forever. And they're like, why don't you just do this already? Obviously it should be so easy. It's just text. And we're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. if that were the case, it would be done already. <laughs> yeah. But there are some things that you probably don't realize and I don't have the time to go into it, but yeah. let me hear, let me say that I agree, but 
I want to do it, but it just isn't going to work exactly the same way. Yeah. And I think that there are a few things like that, that, that I run into at least where, um, I, you know, it, to, to me, my first reaction is, wait a minute, this seems like a, something that should just exist there. And it doesn't. And obviously, um, because I come from a family of engineers, my assumption is that there's a very good reason. It's not like I'm the first person to think of this stuff, right? Um, <laughs> Most people do think that like, they're the first person that thinks of it though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but things like, you know, so I'll give you some examples just so that we're talking in concrete terms here. So uh, you mentioned sharpening before and sharpening is one thing that I would like, you know, just a normal slider for in Lightroom Mobile. And right now, you know, I don't get that. I have to use a lo- you know, local adjustment and whatever. So strange. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and things like um, doing actual local adjustments with the Apple Pencil because, you know, I'm so excited. I've got the iPad Pro, Apple Pencil, and I want to just be able to, you know, dodge and burn with with that, right? And yep. pressure sensitive and everything. You know, so these things that from an outsider perspective, they feel like low-hanging fruit. Um, but of course, from the inside, there's there's tremendous technical challenges that, that have to go into um, developing them. And uh, one of the other ones that... Um, I, I feel like this one is actually a lot more important than people give it credit for, but um, friggin' preset sync from the desktop, right? Because everyone <laughs> yes. loves their Visco presets and yes. their, their Mastin Labs and they're, you know, really nice and all these things. And, uh, you know, if, if only if only we could just, you know, hit a button and sync presets and then all of a sudden those would be accessible on yeah. mobile. I have a feeling that that alone would bring a huge number of people into the Lightroom mobile fold because, that would, you know, right now you have this sort of fragmented thing where even even I, for instance, will start my, I love culling photos mm-hmm. on my iPad. So the, the initial culling process is fantastic. I prefer it to my computer, you know, and I'll do the first set of edits there as well. But I always, you know, if I, if I know that I'm after a certain preset look and I want to start from there, save myself some, some time, I have to, you know, go back to my desktop and, and you know, mouse around like an old person and, mm-hmm. and you know, activate those presets and work from there. And that's one of those things where I bet if if that, you know, came to the mobile version, all of a sudden so many more people would be excited because that's one less thing that they have to resort to their desktop machine for. Sure. Um, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I would absolutely love to have the synchronization functionality in there. And it's something yeah. that I have been working on and trying to make it happen. And there's... Uh, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that's yeah, I can imagine there's even licensing hurdles because uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff. You know, like how how would you feel as Visco <laughs> right. if you were like trying to sell these things yeah. and then we made it super <laughs> easy to pirate them? <laughs> you, you you probably wouldn't like us too much, but yeah. we like Visco and we want Visco to work with us. So like trying to figure out how do we make it so that you know like there's it's. It's one of those fun things about like, uh, and, and whenever somebody wants to know what it's like to be a product manager, I'll take like one of these kinds of, of tasks and I'll walk them through. And just what, unpack what it, it for them. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> here you go. And uh, how would you do this? And like, oh, huh. It's not as easy as it seems. <laughs> yeah. right. and it's, and it, but it's great. Like, I don't, I don't take any offense out of this kind of stuff because like the thing to me, and we were talking earlier, like, how do you make a decision as a product manager, or as a team? A lot of this comes down to like realizing just how important one thing is versus another. Like one of the, the, that my superpowers is that because I'm an avid photographer, I already know most of these things inherently. I've already got it. I've got really good what they call product sense sure. because I understand the needs. Uh, but at the same time, like being able to um, size the need 
Like how many people feel that passionately about this? Yeah. Is it a bajillion people? Is it like four people that are just really, really loud? Like, and <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's really important to be able to differentiate between a vocal minority uh, or like there's just a lot of people out there that have a problem and yeah. wish they could do it, but you know, they, they're too busy to speak up or they don't know how to speak up or whatever. Yeah. And then prioritizing it and going through the effort of, of building it and figuring out which ones are actually going to not just quiet those loud people, but also meaningfully improve the product for people who didn't know they had that problem, but will benefit as well. But also make it so that it works in the future. Right. And that's, that's right. the thing that's also really yeah. interesting is like, we don't want to solve a problem today that opens up new problems tomorrow. Right. And that's, that's another one of those fun things that we get to deal with. But, but regardless, to answer your questions, uh, sharpening, gotcha. I agree today. Like there's one thing you can do that's a little bit better than, or maybe it's the same. I don't know. It depends on how you feel about this stuff, but uh, there are presets for sharpening um, that are built into the app so that you can just use that as a preset. Yeah. And that's <laughs> not great. And then copy and paste. That's not great. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean like there's actually presets built into the mobile app specifically for sharpening. Oh, is there? Um, okay. But there's also, yeah, but there's also like what you said also is you can, you can have like what some people do to get around this whole preset sync uh, malarkey is that they'll go in there and they'll take uh, a collection that they made of photos that are basically they're a photo as a preset. And so they're like, Oh, this is my, you know, cool runnings uh, one. Um, and <laughs> yeah. then I go in there it's a great movie. And then I go in there and I like copy it from that image and then I paste it to another one. So like I'm, I'm treating this collection as a, a, a each image in there is like a preset conceptually yeah. is a preset. Yeah. So there, there's, there are ways around these things. And, and I'm not saying that that's the right way of doing it. And, and clearly there's, there are better ways of accomplishing it, but like the sharpening is one of those things. I agree that, uh, that actually is easier uh, to do there, there, there've been some reasons why, I mean, one major reason was for the longest time, the resolution of the files that would go into Lightroom mobile were all smart proxies, which were 2050 six uh 2560 pixels on the long edge right and making sharpening decisions based off of a low resolution proxy file is wrong is it yeah so like <laughs> right <laughs> so don't do that and so like that was one of the reasons like well there was like there was no scenario in which you could actually make a good decision based off of the way that it was built now as we are building the application differently and improving it and expanding it and as people are are taking file photos on their on their camera and they're also doing things with like uh, importing files directly onto their devices um yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's more and more uh, but usually what happens is you talk about sharpening you start talking about noise reduction our noise reduction, we wanted to make it really amazing. So the Lightroom uh, desktop noise reduction is really good. It's high quality. It's also super processor intensive right. and to the point where it overloads your phone, unfortunately. Right. We're, we're not yet, like we, a lot of times people are like, oh, the phone is as powerful as computers. <laughs> no, no, not yet, not yet. We, we, we wish it were, but it is not yet as powerful. And so there are some things and noise reduction just happens to be one of those things where it just, you put noise reduction onto a phone and your phone blows up. Yeah. Um, and there are ways around it, which we have presets for noise reduction on there and you can copy and paste. It's just like, you can't make a slider that moves with it. Right. And then that means like, right. well, what's and another, computation and stuff. Yeah. What's another way of doing this? And then trying to figure that out. And just like, okay, well, yes, we need to get to this point and we're working on it, but we don't have the, the solution yet with regards to, to brushing. Agree with you 100% as well. Uh, I, I can't wait for brushing, especially on, on my iPad Pro. The, the, the ability to do that with a pencil would be just fantastic. 
uh, or even on my phone. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like a, such an obvious thing that you want. Like I reach for it, right? Like I'm trying yep. to do it and it's like, oh yeah, wait, we can't do that yet. <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's also one of those things. Yep. Got it. No problem. Understand. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about preset syncing, sure. Totally agree. Like these are, these are all the fun things. Like you can just say, okay, these make sense and we're working on them. Of course, then uh, people like to say like, when you're like, uh, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> when <Yeah>. it's done. <laughs> Our executives are the same way. <laughs> no, and I'm I'm sympathetic. It's not, yeah, it's not like we're trying to extract hard dates for me because it was my assumption that you guys are, again, it's, it's a giant company full of smart people. You've all thought of these things before. It's just interesting to have some insight into, you know, what the struggles are that are slowing some of them down or make some of them impossible or things like that. Because it's just, you know, as a user, it makes it more um, straightforward for me to understand what the future of yep. my um, mobile photography workflow is going to look like, right? Exactly. Like if I know, you know, don't bother waiting for sharpening or don't bother waiting for preset sync or whatever, because that's just for whatever reason, whether I think it's valid or not, it's just, it's not coming. Okay. Then I make decisions based on that. Right. So that's the, that's kind of where we're coming from, uh, with these questions. I also had an interesting one from, this is something that, uh, one of our, our listeners pointed out, but they were essentially wondering, um, about the whole cloud storage part of this equation. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, now you sort of moved over onto a fully subscription-based thing for income, which, you know, I'm 100% behind, no problem. Um, but for me, especially as someone who does sync raw files, you know, from my iPad to the desktop, I kind of wish that would work vice versa too. And I think that one of the the solutions that comes to mind is, hey, what if my catalog and my, my raw files actually lived in Creative Cloud instead of, you know, wherever? Is that something that's sort of on the radar or something that you've considered, or is it just a bad idea for reasons that I can't possibly understand? From a... I think it's a great idea. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> okay. I will. Pregnant pause. <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave that there. Uh... Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I will, I will, uh, I will be less, uh, less avoidant. Um, you know, I, I think that being able, clearly, the idea of being able to have stuff follow you around is important. Yeah. And we've already seen as we've been building up this ecosystem that having the ability to go from your phone to your tablet, from your tablet to your desktop, from your desktop back to your phone again, all of these ways are really, really important. And as you've also pointed out, there's like some unidirectionality that's in there that's a little bit strange. Like I can upload a full resolution file to my phone and that full resolution file will go from my phone to the cloud, from the cloud to my desktop. Now my desktop has the full resolution version of the phone, and my phone has a, a, a photo, and my phone also has the same full resolution photo. If I were to do that exact same thing, but reverse, I would have the full resolution on my desktop, the desktop would upload a proxy to the cloud, my cloud would download a proxy to my mobile device. So in the end, I would have a proxy on my phone and a full resolution on my desktop. And you would ask, why doesn't that happen? Like, I don't want that. (laughs) And so there are are things that need to happen. Uh, As you can imagine, storage is expensive. Uh, And And bandwidth, I imagine. Like, well, uh, bandwidth doesn't cost us much. (laughs) The storage costs (laughs) us much. Uh, The the bandwidth costs you. And that's also something, obviously, that you may or may not want to have and having the right solution. So there's a a bunch of things that need to be thought through and and figured out. And ultimately, the... uh, the the product uh, concept of keeping all these things together makes sense and and figuring out well what does it actually look like is is an interesting interesting thought experiment on the bandwidth part like yeah 
for what it's worth. By the way, guys, I'm still here. <laughs> Can you guys hear me? Hey, Manitoba. <laughs> I'm still here. So, uh, but like, you know, when you talk about putting photos into the cloud, like I live in an area where I bring this up a lot, but the internet is horrible. So I literally would never be able to use a feature like that. And so I often ask like, how big is the population of people like me who literally cannot sync photos across you know, devices and so on. So anyway, it, it's kind of fun to hear a little bit of the, the backstory on it. Yeah. So the question is, how many people are like you today? Right. How many people are going to be like you in the future? Un- unfortunately, there's no like roadmap from my internet company either. So <laughs> uh, I mean, anyway, well, you, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. To, it's fun to like hypothetically think about it. Yeah, it's surprising right. how how quickly uh, internet is becoming faster and stronger and better. And hopefully, you know, like the, the solutions are um, treating internet as a utility and as a public service and a public good and including a minimum amount. Because usually the only reason uh, it seems like where we're seeing really slow internet connections, at least in countries like America and, the, and Canada, is um, because of greed of the telecommunications companies. <laughs> Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Here in Europe, they kind of force them into submission by the regu- regulatory, uh, you know, laws and everything. But yeah, it's still ugly most times. It's it's tough. Like we, it's very difficult from the outside to to remind ourselves that behind all of these big companies that make the products that we love are actual human beings with, you know, thoughts and haircuts and, and ideas and they're... And feelings. We have feelings. And feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and feelings. Yeah. And, and feelings that we don't want to hurt, right? Because we, all those people that are trying to tell you how to do your job, you yeah. know, that's that's obviously, that's never nice. And, oh, I, I don't actually mind that. I, I think that, that my expectation is as a product manager, like uh, I am in many ways, like I only do what I do because I want to make people happy and make them happy about the product. Right. So like I do hold myself in that, that way of saying, I do want to hear from people. And I think right. that it's really, really important to hear from folks. And, and uh, I only say that I have feelings because there are times where people are very, very mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's really surprising. The internet brings out the trolls in all of us, I guess. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. 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 But I guess you could look at it a different way and say that, you know, behind all of that anger and that, that uh, passion, all those strong feelings are, you know, sometimes coming from a good place because it's just people who are really keen about this stuff and they, they feel very strongly about how it should be and how, uh, they'd like to see it progress. So, you know, sometimes they don't know how to express that in a, in a kind way, but you're very generous. Um, <laughs> well, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm looking at the listener questions cause I don't want to forget something and then they're going to yell at me. And, you know, speaking of upset people, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I think we, we missed the, the one that I thought was interesting is that, is there a chance that Lightroom could be opened up as an editing extension for photos on iOS? Oh yeah. And that's a very tricky one, but I'm kind of curious to see. Um, well, I guess it depends on, on like, there's that's a there's a range of possibilities that that could work in. Um, as like an in, like as a native thing, no. Like that's something that just couldn't, couldn't work because of like the amount of integration work that would have to happen in order to make it like natively work it would just be impossible especially with all the the memory management and handling that you have to do and passing right. off between the operating system and and all of our complex tools um, but the next level in there is 
saying like, hey, I'm at this photo. I want to edit this photo, edit this photo now inside of Lightroom and use Lightroom as the tool and then just give me the file back. Um, there are possibilities of doing that. The only thing that, that comes into that is like one of the, the value propositions of Lightroom is this fully non-destructive tool. And so what happens then is you start using Lightroom not as a fully destruct as a, as a fully destructive tool, meaning that you're inside of the Photos app, you hit edit, I edit the photo, and I get back a JPEG. Right. Um, well, that JPEG now doesn't have any of the the values and the capabilities of of processing. There are ways around that. I think Snapseed is one of the ones uh, that 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 does that. We there is like this layers of complexity inside of there where you have some layer level of non-destructiveness plus also the access to the other ones and then that carries with it its own problems like this application the image now gets duplicated plus you have to be able to keep track of it and knowing which one has been edited and which one hasn't been edited um it, it kind of like gets into this very uh edge casey kind of world yeah and so right. one of the the recommendations that i would have like if i were to take off my Adobe employee hat and put on my, I do a lot of photography and a lot of editing. And somebody comes up to me and asks me like my recommendation on how to do a good workflow. I'd say live in Lightroom done. Right. It's just that solves so many problems that you will run into that you don't even know you're going to run into later on. And those problems are going to be uh, really, really annoying and having to make compromising decisions every step along the way. There's nothing that you, like in my personal feeling, you do not want to spend time constantly having to make a decision between, do I edit this photo this way or do I edit the photo that way? No, just edit the photo. <laughs> get the right. get the creative energy put into the right place. You, yeah. I think we all are born, or I should say, we wake up in the morning with a certain uh, number of decisions that we can make before we just say, oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to sleep. <laughs> and yeah. what I I feel like I would rather use those decision points on fun, creative outlet stuff than really silly, like don't actually matter at the end of the day. It's like, would you, you're on your deathbed. You're like, oh, I created all these great photos or I made all of these really complex decisions about how to edit this photo. It's like, uh, <laughs> I'd rather have lots of photos in the end. I mean, it's kind of morbid and, and a little long reaching and, and a little little too abstracted, but still the same point. Well, no, it does. It illustrates your point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I run into the same thing because, uh, you know, part of this is um, it's really annoying to be a geek um, because whatever hobby you pick up, you start to dig into the nitty gritty details and it's like, oh, but the grass might be greener on this side yep. and that side. And, you know, whether that means a different camera system or a different editing workflow or different oh, whatever, gosh. it's like, oh my yep. God, there's no end to it. <laughs> um, but then you, you sort of rein it in one day and you're like, hang on a minute, is my client going to notice the difference between this sharpening algorithm that I get over here and this sharpening algorithm that I get over there? And it's just like, at some point, like you said, you just have to sort of let go and, and remember why you're doing this stuff. And it's probably not because you're in search of the world's best sharpening algorithm. Hmm. Um, but also, you know, with, from, from my perspective, it's nice because being aware of the landscape means that I know what to complain about to you, for example. And you'd be like, <laughs> hey, this is, <laughs> you know, I, the grass is greener here in this particular specific way. And then you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't know that or whatever. Um, one of the, uh, one of the fun things that, that I've run into and the, the, one of the only things really that, that I complain about in terms of Lightroom's processing is, uh, handling Fuji files because you, you said you were a Fujifilm shooter back 
uh, you know, before the the digital days. But you know, these days, um, them and their. I also have an XT one. Oh, there you go. So, um, <laughs> I I mean, I I guess you guys hear a lot of stuff from from Fujifilm photographers about you know like how you handle the X trans files and stuff like that. Is that like do you at this point just sigh and and pull out some more hair and have a glass of wine or where where are you guys at with the whole X trans processing thing? Because at this point, I'm starting to lose track of if it's all in my head or not. So there's there's definitely been many, many uh, discussions about it, yes. And there's been iterations in there. And it's sometimes, there, there are places where I can still tell a difference. And I can say like, okay, I get it. I see what people are talking about. Yeah. Because I'm not responsible for that, I can be a little bit more flippant and be like, it doesn't effing matter. <laughs> um, yeah. Like at some point, now we're talking about like a, a theoretical thing. Yeah. I get it. There's some images where you can tell and you do a comparison, an A B test, and you can like, yep, I can see the difference. It's like, cool. And how much does that matter? And like, yeah. it's, it, it becomes a philosophical thing, but like I said, I can, I can have that more flippant uh, response because I'm not responsible for that stuff. And I can, and my personal feeling is I would rather be out taking pictures than pixel peeping and like complaining yeah. and right. writing hate mail on the internet. Um, but that's cool. <laughs> Some people like to do that. That's cool. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody how to live their life. Uh, go, sure. go rock on your rage, buddy. But the, um, there are things that we are working on now to address those issues because in the end of the day, um, the good thing is that the folks that do, that are responsible for that are really, 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 really one, incredibly intelligent and two, really proud of what they do. Yeah. And they really do want to make the product as good as possible, if not even better. Yeah. I, I remember the very early days when I was first shooting Fujifilm, then I was noticing it and it was at a point where it was bothering me. Nowadays, especially with the X-Trans three generation cameras, I don't know if it's because of the extra resolution or just the advancements in um, Lightroom's processing, but nowadays I really do have to like go searching for problems. And like you said, I mean, I've, I've got better things to do with my time, quite frankly. So it's not, it's not something that bothers me anymore, but it is something that I still read about. And it's, it's just one of those interesting, unique situations because it's like, how much effort are you going to put into dealing with one weirdo manufacturer's files that happen to, you know, to, to operate differently? Yeah, there's, there's that, but there's, there's also, um, those individuals are really like, we have a lot of Fuji shooters on the team. So there's, there's always that, but the, the way I, I kind of liken it to it in, in my mind is, I was one of those kids in high school that would read the popular photography magazine. And I'd always like, I would study the charts and look at all the, Oh yeah, look at this MTF and look at that's really cool. And I, yeah, all the, all the, the <laughs> I still don't know how to read those properly. Yeah, I'm be, I geek out. I'm going to be really fun. And then I would like take one of those lenses that like, Oh, this is really good in the center, but really soft in the edges. And I'd go out and I'd shoot. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Looks good to me. It's fine. That's good enough. Yeah. Like I don't really like. I don't see like how how much are uh, are you focusing on the edges of this file? Are you, like, you're putting really important information in that corner, top right. Really? Uh, right. Good composition. Cool. <laughs> Manitoba's grinding his teeth and thinking about cat's eye shaped bokeh balls right now. I think. No, that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> I'm looking at the Slack channel right now, and Alvaro's going, "Oh, it has a, it has good outside sharpness." 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Throwing the poop around right now. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> uh, sorry, last thing on the Fujifilm front. Um, I'm like super, super keen to get that X100F support. So like, you know, if you could zap those guys and just get that that update out. I've got this, uh, you know, my review unit in and I'm just, now I realize how reliant I am upon Lightroom because all of a sudden I can't edit my X100F <laughs> files in Lightroom and I'm like, oh crap, wait, what do I do? How do I live? How do I operate? It's like I have this separate folder, this sad little temp folder on my desktop that's holding all of the raw files from the X100F until, you know, the day Lightroom will, yeah. will support. Well, I mean, how, uh, how, how important is it to you to edit those right now? Do you really need to edit them? I, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same sensor yeah, I mean, that's it's, in the X-T2. So if you change the maker yeah, data, do the metadata thing, yeah. I think you could edit them right today. And they're exactly the same. Right. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm voicing a general complaint. It's no, not. I understand. Like, like uh, I get it. And um, the the fun thing is, like, in right now, I think the team is catching up with all the stuff that uh, you know. Like, there was CP Plus and CES, and new cameras were announced. And so, like, what what we normally try and do after these events is we have to capture uh, and work on a bunch of cameras. And there's a certain yeah, there's a certain fixed cost for every launch that we do. So we try and minimize them, but without making people wait too long, yada, 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 process, process, process. Yeah, no, and as a general as a general rule, I actually really appreciate how quick the turnaround is because in retrospect, like pretty much whenever a new camera has actually hit the market, like this is not available in stores yet, so I, it's unreasonable of me to expect it to be supported, but it's in general, whenever new cameras have come out, I've, I've just been like, oh, look, there's a new update, suddenly it's supported, and that's... Uh, that's really nice. Yep. I mean, that's something that, that, uh, and we just got a great relationship with the manufacturers, which is wonderful. So we, we do have uh, ways of, of trying to shorten those times. And that's one of the right. things I'm really, I'm really proud of that the team has built these wonderful relationships with the, with the folks. Yeah. But like yeah. you said, it's not like, it's not ruining my life or anything there. <laughs> it's just, uh, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're slowly becoming one of those people with all of their full, their photos on the, the desktop, different folders. <laughs> Yeah, digressing. I'm digressing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, soon I'm going to try and make albums that way and then be like airdropping them to people or who knows. I don't even know how they... Yeah. You're going to print photos again. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I love printing photos. <laughs> You're going to have like your, uh, your DCIM, DCIM1, DCIM2 on your desktop. Just have lots and lots of those. <laughs> you do late night recording. But only Spain time. Got it. <laughs> yeah, only Spain time. Also, typically, Alvaro and, well, we're all typically half in the tank by the time we do these late night episodes. So we're, <laughs> you know, we're, we're playing it sober this time. Aww. We're being really responsible. It's, That's boring. <laughs> yeah, we should have given you a heads up, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we have lots of beer here. I'm sure I could find some. Yeah. There's always like some beer left over from some release party that I could find in somebody's refrigerator somewhere. <laughs> Next time, next nice. time we'll do it. We'll do it three sheets style. Yes, excellent. <laughs> well, you're welcome to join us again anytime you want. Cool, thanks guys. Yeah, we'd be very glad to have you. We'd be very glad. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. All right, thanks. Really appreciate it. <laughs>